0: Welcome to the Stories, Our Soul Food Podcast, presented by Cannonball Books, the kids' fiction imprint of Cannon Press. Met a ghost of a king on the road when I first fell. Fire burning to my knees, to my knees, I fell. Met a ghost of a king on the road.
1: <clears throat> okay, Brian. Here we are. Yeah, here we, right. are. we are now. Uh, welcome to SASF, everybody. Uh, this is the first time we've I've got some feedback here, friends. Come on now, Be professional.
0: We're almost good. Just that one probably, huh? Maybe. We're okay. there. Well, here we are. For those who are just listening to our podcast, next week when this airs, um, you get to be in front of a bunch of NSA student our, visitors. Our first live studio audience.
1: I think so. Yeah. So uh, they're going to screw up for sure. Um, but next week we have a chance with another live studio audience we're doing part one and part two and we're going to see which of you do a better job right uh because ultimately this podcast is about results the the, (laughs) i was i was going to say the quality of the american homeschooled team oh (laughs) (laughs)
0: yes
1: (laughs) how many of you are not homeschooled Uh, okay okay so uh, how how so many? The quality how many are? Of, that's a good sample size for the the quality. Of, it's about half and half, half for and you half. blind podcast listeners. <laughs> um, the quality of the homeschooled and private schooled teen. So we're going to see how terrible they are. Okay, um, good. So on this podcast, for those of you who do not listen, we talk a lot about story, film, novels, et cetera, Bible stories. Uh, today, Brian wanted to talk about Jeroboam, and I'm curious what you all would like us to talk about. So Go, we're going to we're going to kind of follow the mob. So books movies and let's start with people who actually listen to the podcast so you know what
0: we've covered because i think part of the advice over here front left
1: i i had a question about your uh episode admitting you have bad taste yes
0: Yes. question about the bad taste episode
1: so i have a lot of friends who say that i need to read these books like twilight and the hunger games and i say i don't want to waste my time but they say that I shouldn't judge them because I haven't read them. So how should I respond to that when I know that I don't want to waste my time? Yeah. Okay. So the to repeat the question in, into a better mic. Uh, the short the short version is the question about the episode about admitting you have bad taste, which most of you all probably do have terrible taste. Uh, the odds <laughs> are think in we our can favor. can say all. <laughs> yeah. I actually there there was a moment where I thought about. Stating it more honestly, and then I thought, let's be polite. (laughs) Only (laughs) most of you have bad taste. Uh, But the the question is, what do you say when people want you to read something before you judge it? They don't want you to prejudge at all. So they're saying you may not have an opinion about a book because you haven't read it yet. Uh, The problem is that in all cases of reading or watching, you are an investor. You're investing time, and there's a return on your time or not, and you are required to judge your friends determined that reading twilight would give them a return on their investment and the question is what kind of return are they, ch- are they chasing and, y- and usually that's the issue the, the issue is a question of what do they want they want to be scintillated they want to have this weird wish fulfillment glittery immortal boyfriend fantasy uh, whatever it might be <laughs> and it, it paid off like they're, because of their bad taste, the amount of time they invested in the series paid off. The investment was positive. And so they're telling you, you have to read it too. And you're saying, I don't think I'm going to get a reward from this. I don't think there's a return. This is a bad investment of my time. And so the, the question there is just having the conversation over positive outcomes, positive return on time. What are you looking for in a book at all? This is me. Is it just me? So just, yeah, yep. what what are you looking for in a book at all? I'm gonna turn my phone off while I think about this. Uh, this happens all the time in the podcast. In case you're wondering, we have to turn. You're
0: the getting phones. the full experience. Uh,
1: the real the real experience, the honest experience. <laughs> he even told me to wear a hoodie because I almost always do.
0: <laughs> um,
1: so does that does that explain to you kind of like what are you looking for? And you're gonna find out when you have that conversation. Throw out all the emotional baggage of you like this book. I don't like this book. What is a like a worthwhile book to read what is the return and so with hunger games if you're interested in story generally and you're interested in in culture and what moves people i think hunger games is worth reading book one uh there's there's a lot there's a lot there to to learn about but only if you come to it with a really aggressive and intelligent fully engaged mind
0: Right. So if you just get into the fan club of uh, Katniss right, yeah. and you head into the, into the Hunger Games thinking, man, she's so cool. Everything she does is cool. You're in for a bit of a wild ride as she takes you places that a heroine wouldn't. Right. Um, but if you're entering in and enjoying some of the world that she created and understanding why that could become a successful movie, like those emotional elements, yeah. that's, that's much more fun. But, uh,
1: but reading it and asking constantly, like, what is this saying? Is it true? Uh, that's that can be a valuable exercise, and you shouldn't be scared of reading a book like that. Uh, with Twilight, even I would I would just position yourself in a better place where you're not saying that's a terrible book. Like okay, fair enough, you didn't read it. You don't really know the ways in which it's terrible. Uh, it's better to say I don't think it's worth my time. Like that's, and this is not
0: worth my time. I do not expect a positive return on my investment from. From this read, and this is embarrassing to say in front of you all, but I did read Twilight in high school because everyone so said that it was I so didn't good. have to. <laughs> I walked, I walked so that Nate could run, and it wasn't worth it. So it was a terrible waste of time, and it wasn't worth it. I, I can't remember. I think the girls in my class were super into it, and I was like, "Oh, I'll try it." high school guys and uh <laughs> brian's like at some point i need to understand women yeah. and i thought and that was not worth my time May as well learn to
1: learn to understand women now by reading twilight
0: right and i think my wife has has never even read it so you know i didn't even need to you know perfect real waste okay uh <laughs> so that was a question about episode number 49 you
1: have bad taste i'm making up that number i have no idea what it was uh, the you have bad taste episode okay over here by the old tapestry against the wall
0: talk
1: about the Song of Roland? Heavy sigh. <sighs> uh, can we talk about the Song of Roland?
0: Like, what do you want us to talk about I think about we it?
1: could talk about the Song of Roland. I have no desire to talk about the Song of Roland. So <laughs> let's move. Let's move on in. Song of, uh, well, look at me. I could start talking about the Song of Roland. Um, overly romantic. I don't like it.
0: The best part was when the guy blew his brains out with the horn. Yeah. But also I thought. Which I've personally done. <laughs> So
1: one in one in from Song of Roland.
0: So I have a question about Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Jojo that, Rabbit, uh, it is. Psycho like YTT uses humor for a movie that's set in a time period and, and a situation that's very serious and yet he pulls it off very well. Do you think that if it can be executed well and done correctly, that humor should be used in those movies like all the time, those kinds of movies? Uh
1: should humor always be used in in movies set in miserable time periods?
0: Well, not necessarily miserable. It's just if it uh, can help convey the message uh, like that the director or the writer is intending to convey, without uh, you know, disrespecting the the, the serious it was.
1: Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna jump off on this a little bit, and then you can tell us if if we covered it or not. Uh, The question is basically whether or not because Taika Waititi so successfully uses humor in Jojo Rabbit, and he does, is that an example of how humor should pervade lots of storytelling and lots of other genres? Uh, I I would say that the way God tells stories in his reality all the time is never as serious as our stories. So take a show like Terminal List. Did you try to watch Terminal List?
0: Um, yeah, I did. Yeah, I watched. You season watched one. all of it. I watched season one, but yeah. it turned into a bit of our artistic exercise at the end. We're just thinking, how can they save this? And yeah, they could so the, not.
1: the Chris Pratt Amazon show, and it it's insufferably serious and just bad. Uh, but you look at the way God tells stories, and I'll give a couple of examples, uh, autobiographical examples. The first is the most recent of uh, this last week. I was up in Coeur d'Alene Lake. The stars were amazing. Everything was glorious. And one in the morning or so, I walked down onto the dock. And just the excuse was to put stuff away and make sure it was all secure if wind came up in the morning. But I was actually just going down to check the stars and get bitten by mosquitoes. So as I got out on the dock, I'm looking at the Milky Way and it is absurd, right? This is not a realistic world that we live in. It's completely far-fetched. So it is outside of our understanding and it is amazing and magnificent and I'm standing here kind of feeling that vibe and I turn around and there's a very large fat naked man <laughs> <laughs> it's just like I go from Milky Way to like whoa like <laughs> what is he doing holding a beer fist on a hip he's having the same moment you were he was just <laughs> man just feeling the poetry of the universe. Uh, <laughs> believing that no one could possibly be further out onto the water than he was and that he was completely invisible. Uh, He was not. (laughs) 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 And that's how God tells his stories. Uh, He does it to you and he does it to everybody else. Uh, I guarantee you, if you give in to temptation and decide to really go digging in your nose, you're going to go pick your nose uh, for some absurd reason, which still infuriates your hardworking, homeschooling mother, you've decided to do this, I guarantee you somebody's watching. For someone, it's a f- funny thing. Uh, <laughs> like, they they got that beat. So I got out there, I turn around, here's this fat naked guy with a beard and his fist on his hip, standing below the Milky Way. Also appreciating. Um, I am what I am. Yeah, I was feeling all Walt Whitman-y. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and I waited for the barbaric yop, but it didn't come, yeah. but that's how God tells stories, always. I mean, imagine, always.
0: imagine too, that huge news article about just, you know, that tragedy of the submarine viewing the Titanic mm-hmm. and, and then the people disappearing. And just the moment of them all being in a submarine saying, imagine what it would have been like to sink on the Titanic. Right? Yeah. You know, that, that. your question about is humor okay to use? Like that question right there, you immediately feel the edge of like, uh-oh, is uh-oh. that okay to too say? Soon? <laughs> is too soon? Is that too soon? Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a, um, and, and you have the direct descendant of
1: people who died on the Titanic down there. On the submarine. On the submarine, weirdly, with no windows, watching it on a screen, clearly having a philosophical problem with what seeing something is. Uh, so could have just sent a
0: camera is looking at a TV monitor. Uh so they weren't even 2 miles underwater it. Uh, anyways, turns out they never even made it that far. But yeah. uh but as far as that moment of what when can you use humor? I think humor always plays with that edge, right? I, and God is frequently um pushes lines.
1: Yeah, really he rude. He pushes lines. He's super rude. That your mother is not comfortable <laughs> with. And and if she's a good mom, she's not comfortable with it. That's not that's not to slight your right. Uh your mother. God is constantly telling stories that have those humorous beats. And you see, really talented directors understand that, really talented novelists understand that. I recently went back through The Road, uh, which I'd never finished because I found it insufferable to read, but I went through the audiobook. Oh, interesting. So I went through the audiobook all the way. And the thing Cormac McCarthy does really well is he finds these humorous beats and just horrendous con- like contexts, really, really bad. There's a, a scene right at the beginning of Gladiator uh, when Maximus. Russell Crowe's character is standing here ready to slaughter the barbarians and he see, he just sees a bird. He not- notices a bird and gets distracted. And there's this very brief beat right before cataclysm when he's looking at a bird, which is of course not actually there. Ridley Scott's directing him to imagine a bird and see the bird. He's looking for that reaction. They insert the bird later. Bird goes and he follows the bird and then absolute slaughter. Like that's that's how the stories are told. Uh, so Jonah's whale had a whole day before that and had days after that. And you could do the story from <laughs> that, you know, animal's perspective and just the strange mission that fish was on. And sometimes those guys live for a long, long time. That's <laughs> yeah. a
0: very big perspective. <laughs> yeah, there's,
1: and 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 that fish had a genealogy that went back to the day of creation. So like there's fathers and mothers to go all the way back for this long lineage just to get to this one fish. I and mean, that fish probably it.
0: ate plenty of people. You yeah. know, its family had eaten plenty of people, you know, Noah's Ark, all the dead bodies <laughs> in the water there. You go away, you go back nice There's plenty far. of protein. There's you know, it wasn't the first time its lineage had eaten people. The other the other story I have
1: is similar and I've told it before, but it's the first time I ever read GK Chesterton's Orthodoxy, which I read in Virginia Beach sitting with my back against a tree in the most perfect weather of all time and had that Milky Way experience where reading Chesterton's paradoxes and and his inversions, the way he would flip things upside down and and see things truly, but in unexpected ways. And I was feeling deeply edified, let's say, uh, yay, verily inspired. (laughs) And at that moment, a squirrel pooped in my book. (laughs) And I'd never seen or heard of anything like this happening before. But I was sitting there, and I, ha- I have this book somewhere with this horrible stain in the middle of it. And, <laughs> and this squirrel started chattering. and this, So there's gorgeous moment, high spirituality, and then a tree rodent is annoyed at me and decides to defecate on Chesterton. And Chesterton would have loved that. Like that moment, he would have absolutely loved and i had to clear out because the squirrel was not done so <laughs> and it, it took like a 10 second delay before i was processing it all as a very chestertonian moment <laughs> uh, but it, it really was it was the completion of the scene and so reality has a lot of humor in it and you'll see that in films like jojo rabbit which is farcical and inflated the humor is inflated but it draws attention to the humorous things that are actual that are real Hitler's mustache was funny. Hitler was a cartoon character. And yet... Nietzsche, same thing. Yeah. And yet a horrifying villain. But even the most horrifying villain we can think of, God draws a mustache on. Uh, you see, Life is Beautiful is another film we, we mentioned in that podcast that plays up the, you know, the humorous aspect of man, even in the darkest moments and does it really yeah. well
0: and and uh, you should enjoy the fact that nietzsche has entire rants written about how terrible women are and yet he spent the last 10 years of his life basically a vegetable taken care of by women his sister and his mom right that's a, that's another moment of like humor but not for us oh, god <laughs> plays hardball he yeah. plays
1: he god plays really rough uh which is joyfully but rough. If, if we so can, Nietzsche yeah. shakes his fist at God. If you read the Antichrist, there are blasphemies in there that should make you laugh out loud. Like they're going to take you by surprise. Uh, and then, but you need to know the whole story of what happened to this little blasphemer who was trying to shake his fist at heaven and how it ended. It did not end well. And so when, when God strikes the most powerful man on the planet and makes him think he's a donkey and he's out there grazing, uh, he's playing rough. Like he's, he's playing extremely rough and that's through all the old Testament stories and in the natural world around us, we, we see that all the time.
0: I think uh, that's a good test. So if you have a friend who's obsessed with talking about beauty, but can never laugh at that sort of thing, that's, that's a good test to see that that friend is running the danger of being the sort of Protestant who converts to Eastern Orthodoxy or uh, those, those types of things, you know, that, that obsession of like, it needs to like be ancient and have well, smells it need, and bells. It needs
1: to make me feel yeah. something whenever yeah. anybody's basing something off of their own sensation and feeling, as opposed to uh, any kind of ob- objective aesthetic standard outside of them, then there's trouble brewing for sure. Uh, any other questions from you all? Yes, sir. Mr. Story. Ah, uh, So I've, I've read all your novels and I'm just wondering, so
0: you rate novels and books on food levels. How would you rate
1: your books uh i rate novels and books on food levels and how so what kind of food are my books from like a mcdonald's burger to like a steak (laughs) wide range
0: Uh, Of isn't that kind of too small of a scale to be talking about the scale of books we're talking like snacks i think we go from snacks to entrees might be a better way of looking at this i mean a
1: hello ninja is snacks like you're, you're right. trying to you're trying to serve up some crackers to some kids oh uh, my kids get really excited about crackers so <laughs> <laughs> yeah i uh in graduate school of um, 20 years ago or so uh, i had a professor decide to try to mentor me and he didn't understand that i was incapable of taking things seriously at the time so uh, i still am i guess but so he tried to take me aside and asked me if I wanted to be his mentee. And he he thought I could potentially write something someday. And did I want to study under him to do this? This was not at New St. Andrews, by the way. Oh, uh, and I said, did he use the word mentee?
0: Yeah. Oh no. Um,
1: <laughs> also, if I wanted to disciple under him.
0: Oh, mentee um, and disciple. Yeah. And <laughs>
1: he was, a, you know, I, w- I loved apologetics, he was into apologetics, he was engaged in a lot of things. Nice guy, self-serious, like really self-serious. And he took this moment very seriously. And I was taken aback and I didn't answer. I think he thought I was awestruck. <laughs> and uh, he asked me where I, where I saw myself in, in 10 years, because he was pretty sure he could make it happen. And I said, I see myself standing by a barbecue. And he kind of took that on board and said, okay, 20 years. (laughs) Okay, 20. (laughs) And I said, still the barbecue. Probably a little bigger, like a bigger barbecue. And he got really frustrated at me. He was extremely annoyed. Uh, And I I love to barbecue. I love to grill. And so that's kind of where I slot my books. Like I like to serve up good burgers like a good burger i want to make a burger that's better than another burger i'm also very competitive so when i step into something i want to try to make it as good as i possibly can and i get a great deal of pleasure out of uh, serving meat off the grill that people are surprised by haven't had things like it before uh, or it's just a classic but rendered in a way that is a little bit awakening so i'm not trying to reinvent if you take a four inch ribeye i'm talking about a steak that is really thick and you indirect heat that thing or low heat it for a long time and then reverse sear it and slice it you can really shock people they've they've had this cut of meat a thousand times in their lives and then they have something completely new and old at the same time and chasing that new and old is the thing i try to do so i including with film pitches, I've presented a lot of things to people where I'm trying to present things that would feel like this should have already been written. This should have already been made. How has this not been made yet? Like It feels classic. Like So I'm not trying to invent new cuisine or do Asian fusion or anything like that. I'm trying to take really classic things, classic themes, classic characters, and I'm trying to serve them up uh, to the highest level of execution that I'm capable of doing. And so that's that's the measure for me. Uh, so how I would rate my food, I would immediately veer towards grilling because that's...
0: Can I answer this question? That's,
1: that's what I love to do. Yes, but I'll, <laughs> I'll say one more thing to that. Um, in terms of how, how you rate your food and what you're trying to pursue. Uh, when you're doing that, you want to be honest. And for me, my novels are adaptations. They are not the the novels not sacred. Like I I wrote so many versions of each of those stories. I've done so many scenes that weren't in didn't make the novels. I've refined it and worked it and and tried to get to a final product that's as good as I could make it. But that's it comes down to it when it went the end of the day. I'm looking at a printed version that's one adaptation of a story I created, and I've seen seven. I've seen five. Uh, like a lot of them and then readers only read the one and it is like set in stone and they don't want me to ruin it in a in a graphic novel or in a show or in a movie because they have this one version that they love and i'm grateful for that but for me it's one of many versions and so adapting it's not scary but go ahead
0: brian well okay i think this is the best way to think about nate's novels too you've all read a book that you didn't have to chew at all while you consumed it. And I think the I think Nate's books are the kind that you do need to chew to, di- to digest a little. So, I mean, if you've got chicken tendies on one side where you can just move through that thing because it's pre-ground chicken meat. Doesn't right? even need to be chicken. It, uh, it doesn't even have to be chicken. Yeah, that's true. Um, chicken don't have fingers, but I'm eating them for some <laughs> chicken reason. Chicken fingers. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I, that's the way I like to, to describe it. Nate's books are something you need to chew and work on a bit. Not because they're tough, but because they're more worth it than pre-processed chicken tendies. That's part
1: of, that is part of the goal, too, because you want, you want stories to pay off at multiple levels. So if a third grader who's ahead in their reading level reads a novel rapidly and is all excited because there were doors in the wall, and that's it. They're just There was tension, and they felt the tension, they felt the excitement. Uh, or they love explorer societies and secret societies they're all about Ashtown. Uh, that's great. Like I don't mind them liking it on that level, But when critics will email me after having published reviews, angry that they'd missed something or suddenly realizing that there was this other thing going on, that's also very gratifying that there's another there's another layer. so i'm not I'm not trying to just serve cookies. I do want it to be a little more than that, but I talk about it like cookies. It's cookies all the time. but if i had if I had to nail down a, the best food metaphor of what I'm trying to accomplish, it's meat for sure.
0: Uh, how many of you all have read Percy Jackson? any of the lightning thief thief stuff? Yeah, okay, a good number. So imagine I like Nate also does a lot with myth uh, combined with modern day life, right? Percy Jackson, I think, is chicken tendies level. You're going to come across a, a Hydra with a Dunkin' Donuts t shirt on, and there's going to be no explanation. And it actually makes me really mad. But uh, it's, um, Nates, Nate's are not that level. So you can I kind of start the Dunkin' Donuts t shirt. The Dunkin' Donuts would make sense, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that, that's a comparison I think that helps situate the food. Next question. Or we did we go to Brian? No, I think okay, I think maybe there. we do all. they got a lot of questions. Maybe we do all the questions, and you all don't get Jeroboam. Um, Mr. Cole, I was just going to ask, as an acquisitions editor, what advice would you give to someone who's trying to get there?
1: Your... <laughs> okay, I'm going to ask that question for you into the microphone. Mr. Cole, as acquisitions editor, what advice do you give to somebody who's trying to get into the publishing industry?
0: Oh, man. Uh, I... I I think you need to work on getting your novel the best possible it can be judged by someone who's not related to you or your friend. And those are that's kind of my my big piece of advice. Um because I get far too many that are just not up to the standard and they never seem like they can be because they're not self-reflective. That's my answer.
1: Pursue. So the advice is get good. Yep. As good as you can and then get a little better than that
0: right and there's no publishers
1: want publishers want books they want novels they want but they want novels that are going to sell it's a it's a business and they they want the best stuff they can find and so you're you're in a competition that way so improve yourself and then (laughs) then publishers will be thrilled to discover you you'll love uh,
0: the kind of manuscripts that i get submitted sometimes make you realize what you're competing against but other times they're quite good But the ones I remember is getting a submission from an actual clown. Uh, uh, It was called Clowns Have Funny Tastes was the name of his manuscript that he submitted to me. Uh, They do. It's based off that joke about the cannibals eating the clown and one looks at the other and says, this tastes funny. Get it? uh yeah the groan anyways that right there and in his manuscript he had spelled funny with one n so it was clowns have funy tastes is actually the name of his manuscript so don't do that on a fiction it? level <laughs> <Funies>. <laughs> that's all i got in the back Are there real worlds as depicted? Multi, a, mul- a multiverse of sorts as depicted in Hundred Cupboards. Sorry, no connected worlds, not a multiverse. Is that real? Are there connected worlds as you have written in The Hundred Cupboards? Exactly like that. Um,
1: I mean, it's I don't know why not, but it's it's more that there's. A connectivity I don't I don't think it's like 100 cupboards but I think there's a lot more to reality than we understand uh, a lot more to reality than we can begin to understand and so the concept of the second sight and things like that I absolutely believe in I think that's the way the world is
0: so meaning people who can see fairies yeah yeah uh,
1: and, and I, that I think there that's are biblical fairies. and you can exegete that and you can make the case from scripture that that's in fact, the way the world functions. Uh, And given that, given those assumptions, there's a few things you can build off of that, you know, that mean the world is very, very strange. So if you think about Elisha praying that God would open the eyes of his servant and enable him to see what's really happening. You have somebody who's standing in a scene And thinks it's two dudes looking out at a bunch of the king's soldiers. And then Elisha can see, but he can see what's really there. like He can see the real version of this moment. Uh, And we learn from this a couple things from this incident. When his servant's eyes are opened and he sees a a devil army functionally. And then he sees an angelic army as well. Uh, A couple things we learn here. One of the keys is there are angel horses, so he sees in chariots, this right? in this reality there's spiritual there are spiritual warriors on spiritual horses that are actually there. And elisha the prophet asks that his servant be given the sight that he be able to see what's actually happening. That's weird. That's a very strange thing and it and it kind of opens up lots of metaphysical questions that are difficult to answer and we just have to be comfortable not knowing where the edge is and then you have to say like okay so if you keep the sight, and then there's you know angels spirit warriors on spirit horses on your mountainside above your cave protecting you and you are able to continue seeing them as they leave where do they exit how far can you follow them into which portals do they go or do they literally have to accelerate up and go as fast as possible through space. Are we talking about Star Trek or are we talking about doorway doorways portals uh, and things like that? Or are they always here and they live here? They have places they go. They have their you know, their holy ground. They have the the places that they actually like get off the horse and let the horse's pasture. Like there's there's so many questions and he and we get just this little glimpse through of what it would be like to have that site, which Elisha had and which his servant didn't and was given briefly. And then it just poses tons of fantastical questions. So no, I don't think there's uh, wardrobes to Narnia, but my worldview uh, accounts for many, many weird things that I couldn't even begin to imagine that are, that belong in that section of the bookstore. And so the the way the world really is belongs in a book over by 100 cupboards and other fantasy novels. Like, where it's, it belongs over there. And that's the actual world. And so one of the reasons why realism is ridiculous as a genre is because it's unrealistic. It's not the actual world. Fantasy is frequently mind-numbingly stupid and unoriginal. Like, it's really trite and dumb. It, it can be. Or it can be towering and majestic like Lord of the Rings is. It can, it can really pay off. But that kind of storytelling is the kind of storytelling we see in reality around us. I've had weird things happen to me. I've had very strange things happen to me. I've had things happen to me that I can't explain in a material universe. Like, I just can't. But you can't explain elephants in a material universe and how they behave. And there's a ton of other other animals like that how yeah, does an elephant, elephant great this is something I'm I've on the next riot in the dance installment when you start researching elephants you discover that they are highly nervous meaning like their nervous systems are intense so they look really tough and rugged but they can feel a fly landing on their body anywhere which is more than you can say and that would be kind of terrible incidentally being in <laughs> africa being that size And having that little tail and that nose trying to cover your whole body to brush the flies off. But they can feel that. But then they also, we know just it's happened. They're aware of when a friend dies over a great distance. So from miles and miles away, if a friend dies, they're aware of it and they can go to that location. It's like it's. Bizarre. That's well. That's well attested. It's like then it happens. You know, it happens and happens, and it's sort of like that's not a materialistic world. It doesn't work. There's there's something going on there that is a kind of spiritual sensitivity that we don't understand, uh, but we can't explain dragonflies or butterflies or literally anything. Uh, we just have them around, and so we're used to them. So anyway, that's a really long-winded way of. Answering the question about do I think the world is like 100 cupboards, I think 100 cupboards, 100 cupboards is a cheap knockoff version of the real world. It's not me trying to make the real world more interesting. It's me trying to wake people up to the interestingness of the world. If that makes sense. Front row. Um.
0: What would you say is the greatest fairy tale? Why? What. What's, What's the, the greatest, fairy tale, the greatest why, fairy tale and why why? I'm asking you first. <laughs> I just talked. It's your turn. <laughs> um, do you mean fictional fairy tale? Um because I I I mean, obviously the answer and the safe answer and the real answer is really the story of the Bible. Has Jesus all the God Bible? And, and and that's the one. <laughs> so let's go with fictional then. Yeah. <laughs> um fictional greatest fairy tale. I think it I, Chronicles of Narnia. There you go. I don't, I'm not, what are you looking for on that answer? Because the, the idea of the fairy tales. The Little Mermaid. <laughs> yeah.
1: The I'm, new one, not the original.
0: <laughs> it's got so much more meaning in it. Yeah, I don't, I don't have a particular answer. I think there's a lot of great fairy tales. Fairy tales tend to encode different parts about society that you teach, help you teach. They're kind of the original stories are soul food. They're the things that you tell your children to make sure your children don't go with the strange woman in the forest. Or um, don't cross the bridge. Yeah. Or don't cross the bridge until their big brother gets there. That's yeah. when you go across <laughs> the bridge.
1: <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, there are a ton. of And I think comparing them is difficult. But the later ones have more ability to be sophisticated and superior because the earlier ones came first. So you get to build on them right so i think that Lewis's are fantastic and i think that they would not be fantastic without all the germanic fairy tales and norse
0: fairy tales that came first and and those are really really weird you yeah. know hedgehog people you know a guy who has a bear skin for no reason and it, his skin turns into a bear you know tons of blood and gore uh random happening stuff turning into other things they just there's no rhyme or reason to those early fairy tales they didn't um, they hadn't
1: developed rules yet or discover the architecture of narrative. And so while narrative architecture exists in the world, it's like the laws of physics, which took a while to kind of codify and work with. You know, like but people understood if you lean sticks together, they wouldn't fall over. But before that, we started engineering truss systems and pitches and snow loads. You got the leaning tower Pisa before that. Yeah. Uh prior to that, we were telling stories and not all of them did great but they sure cut off a lot of toes yep oh they were they were
0: pretty bloody and and i mean the arabian nights are fascinating sinbad's fascinating it comes cultural food from a different culture you can see how absolutely violent and pretty terrible the arabic world is they're fun lenses into whatever culture they're told in
1: yeah there's there's a lot of i've stolen a fair amount from from those uh mines over there but there's they're cool stuff but you also can't really. Read the originals. And there's a lot of gung-ho kids like you who have a different points thought. I love old stories. And so I'm gonna go read the original fairy tales. And I'm gonna read the thousand and one Arabian Nights. And then you realize, is this porn? You know, it's like it's bad stuff. Sometimes, yeah, you know, like it was not good. Some of them are amazing, some of them withstood the test of time,
0: some of them were I mean, even Ovid, right? Which gets put on this pedestal. As classical Christian education, we're all You need need to read it. You need to think, whoa, why am I reading this? (laughs)
1: That's a good question. Uh, So there there was one moment uh, when my uh, very kind-hearted cousin, the oldest, uh, well, older than my children. She was my cousin. She was watching my kids and their cousins one night, and we came back. And she had decided on a whim, she'd bought this old book at an antique store to read them the original Grimm's fairy tales as a bedtime story as they're all going to bed. And so, and she just kind of plowed on through them under the absolute assumption that they're old and so they're good and this is healthy. <laughs> we had a lot of nightmares that night. Um, <laughs> it was uh, grim indeed. Yeah. And of course, they'd also just watched uh, Wallace and Grommet's Curse of the Were Rabbit. So they were. They were keyed up for lots of <laughs> Both weird emotionally hybrid <laughs> uh, claymation versions and and the night terrors ensued. That's great. So let's get a question from over here if anybody has one from the toothpaste colored crowd. Yes, sir. <laughs> uh, do you have a date for the
0: fourth Ashton oh, burial book? Oh, we knew we oh. couldn't get through oh, without do this have question. a date for
1: the fourth Ashton burial book? Well, I already finished it. And I've just been selfishly sitting on it and refusing to release it, so this is not true,
0: <laughs> lest I get five hundred million emails about it. Where
1: is it yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah the uh it's tough the The world is weird, and so trying to fit it in has been difficult as a lot of other things have have crowded it out uh but it's right there. I'd say it's on one of. It's on one of the front burners as long as the as long as there's at least four front burners right now
0: uh, nate's house actually has eight front burners <laughs> i think <laughs> nope <laughs> if you got the barbecue yeah are you gonna
1: keep sending out the subscriptions
0: yes the plan is yes this and is so, hard to believe but i actually have other things i
1: would rather have nate write first before yeah Ashton. there's there are some things i have to do uh, but i can get them going at once the question is of course Ashton barrels four Yes, I hope to continue the subscriptions as I finish. So as the rough draft is completed, I will be sending those out. Then it will be accumulated into one manuscript. It's almost or just short of 80,000 words right now. That's as far as I've gotten. Uh, it'll probably be around 105. And then I'll edit and revise and try to talk my original editor into doing a pass for nostalgia's sake. And uh, then we'll hopefully be publishing. Uh, a finished version so the subscription uh, missives that have gone out will continue to when they actually have one finished but it will still be in the rough draft format so chapter 16 is up next and it's open on my desktop good question (laughs) yes you have bad taste
0: How do they get good so taste? So the the
1: question is back to the earlier episode. We have accused them of having bad taste. How do they get good taste? Brian, we'll I you um, want to start?
0: You need to start. He's sitting here in a Hemingway t-shirt. I wrote, wore. Old Man
1: of the Sea, which is I wore a bit my, defiant.
0: I wore my most pretentious shirt. Of, <laughs> of
1: taste. he he wore his most hipstery of of all t-shirts and told me to wear a hoodie which is a completely classy thing to
0: wear yeah well you know there's only so many famous authors who've killed themselves in your own state so that is why i wore my Hemingway t-shirt as a native idahoan represent fair enough yeah (laughs) um Yeah. So the question, how do you get good taste? Uh, Education, you got to learn the grammar first. So you need to learn what taste is. We have many episodes about how how to evaluate art and find out what is good, how something can be both good for you, well done, and true to the world that God made and kind of evaluating that triangle of truth, goodness, and beauty is where you start getting good taste. I think you also have to be a bit merciless with yourself and just decide that you want to have good taste. So if someone, if a if generations have said this book is awesome, track down and find out why they thought it was awesome and if they were right. Because sometimes they're wrong. Sometimes they're wrong. And I, I
1: would say start start with a calibration with a check that's pretty easy for you to falsify. Yeah. So you wanna you wanna start by going to those questions that have an answer key in the back of the textbook as you're trying to figure out is it is this good? Is this bad? Is my taste wrong? And so one of the characters I go to and have gone to on, the, on this podcast before is David. And if you read the story of David, the question is, do you genuinely like him? Like, do you like King David? Do you find your sympathies and affection to be aligned with him? Because you can flip to the back, the answer key And God does. And God says, yep, that's a man after my own heart. And if you say, I can't stand that guy, then you have a problem. Your taste is off. So how do you go reread the stories and and try to find what is it about David that God loves? Why does Saul, the best father in Kings, uh, in Samuel, like, I, I'm trying to think, I might be slandering some people in kings, but I'm trying to think of a better father than Saul. And it's it's tough. But Saul has the kingdom stripped away from him and the messianic line. And David comes swooping in. And God loves him. Now, David, maybe you're like, okay, he is a little bit, you know, he is a little bit manly and poetic. And so the <laughs> girls are like, yeah, I'd probably hate love him a little bit um he'd be the worst guy to be in class with but i would probably obsess over him um and let me let me just go ahead and say to all you girls that would be the case um if you were around that guy playing uh, the harp yeah okay (laughs) Uh, let's and i've I've talked about this before but i'll I'll, it bears saying again this guy pre-internet okay so we're talking i don't know if you knew this but the bronze age didn't have tiktok um there weren't reels, and yet his musical ability was so good that often Gibeah in the king's court, where they hate Bethlehem and Judah, by the way, Gibeah, I read the end of Judges and you realize that there's an old grudge between Bethlehem and, and Gibeah. Often in Gibeah in the king's court, they've heard about David. They've heard about how good he is as a musician. Like He's already hit fame musically. Enough so that he's getting called to the king's court, which is as high as you can go. He won American Idol. He's, he's there in the king's court. And he's still going to go kill a giant. He's still going to become a famous warrior. He's still going to replace Jonathan, who is, if you pay any attention, quite a dude like a legit dude. And David has enough mojo that Jonathan says, the throne's yours. I'm not gonna fight you for this. Jonathan's the heir to the throne. Now go read any ancient story about tribal feuds, which they have, Benjamin and Judah, and then you have this powerful king, the first king, the, the king that's united all of Israel, into a kingdom. So this is kind of like King Alfred in in England, the one to unite the, the whole thing into one kingdom. And his son, who is not the weakling, his son is actually more noble than Saul is, is dangerous on the battlefield, is wise and righteous. His son sees David and is blown away by him and defers to him. And they don't go into this Bronze Age blood feud. Now, Saul's line does, but not Jonathan. That's a, this, this guy's a piece of work. So David's already made it as a rock star. Then he makes it as a warrior. He's the kind of guy whose older brothers could be Navy SEAL level mighty men in the royal guard. Eliab is seen by Samuel, and Samuel immediately thinks that's the king. So David's brothers are also studs and much bigger than he is and yet david ends up ruling over them as well so what is it about this guy like god blesses him with this and all these abilities through his story if you read the stories of david and you don't like him you know your taste is off now let's go do something more difficult than that how about
0: jacob how many people like jacob Mm. everybody's like i
1: know i'm supposed to
0: The evangelical thing about Jacob is... Oh,
1: yeah. How
0: how many times have you heard people rag on Jacob? You know, he shouldn't have told those lies the kids say as they look up from Genesis. He's lying. He's smooth-skinned.
1: He's greasy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Like the hairy ones. (laughs) Not like that lovable Sasquatch. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) The red Sasquatch himself.
1: Imagine having to put goat skin... On your arms to feel like to feel feel like like your your brother. (laughs) 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 To be like, hmm, that's a man who needed no blankets right there. Yeah, he was he was built for his time,
0: a man of his age, a man who smelled like a just the outdoors so strongly that his eighty year old dad is like, that's Esau, that's my barnyard (laughs) right
1: there, (laughs) that's my barnyard. Um, so Jacob. So he's gotten a bad rap. People misread the stories. And so if you read the story of Jacob and you think I don't like him, you're reading it wrong. Because God liked him. What is God like? What
0: what is this? What's going on? God made a deal with him. Yeah. God doesn't, I mean, he deals with those that he he loves throughout the Bible.
1: Do you find Joseph kind of obnoxious? You should.
0: He is kind of obnoxious. But it doesn't justify his brothers doing what they did. You should be able to laugh when he comes to all his brothers as the youngest brother and says, hey, guys, guess what dream I had? Now, let's let's also let's also say he's an
1: interpreter of dreams. Yeah. So the thing that like bails him out later is he can interpret dreams. And he, he actually plays dumb dreams. and goes he... to his brothers and is like, I had this weird dream. What do you think it means, guys? <laughs>
0: so you all are bowing down to my.
1: There's this like there's me <laughs> and then there's. I guess you're bowing, <laughs> um, and also Mom and Dad, yeah, also. yeah. So, <laughs> so is is Ja looking like provoking? is he provoking? <laughs> yeah, he is provoking, and he he more than learned his lesson, uh, but he's also playing games later when his brothers come back, and he's you know he's absolutely looking for a a, a payoff, a narrative payoff, and yet God delivers everybody
0: through him, so. Basically, check your taste against the Bible stories. There's also that detail that he cried so loud that everyone could hear him. You know, which is interesting to kind of <laughs> balance weird it one. all. He just is sobbing, and the entire household's like, "What's
1: happening?" Yep. So also here, here's another another pop quiz: the Book of Esther. Good story or bad story? It's a great story. Great story. Check your taste. Calibrate your taste. Great story. Uh, Esther. Good character. Bad character. Does she actually seduce a married man? Yep, she does. And good on her. Like she, she read her moment in the story, the lives of her people-
0: <laughs> Nate, you're not supposed were, to say
1: that to the <laughs> were, we're at stake. And she, she did what needed to be done. She actually did the right thing as the heroine of the story. Which is really uncomfortable for us. And so we paper over it. We pretend like it wasn't sexual. We pretend like he wasn't married. Uh, and of course, polygamy back then. Watch the king, the king and I. I think it gives you a great perspective on the book of Esther. Like, why is this chick falling for a married dude? Um it's because, because in a polygamous Yule culture, dudes are always available. There's no they're never off limits. Um yeah. which is yeah immature <laughs> and weird, but in this situation, it's actually like she's really pushing the limits it's It's quite difficult to get your your head around those situational ethics, the situational ethics of the book of esther now luckily, you will not be in that situation. that world doesn't exist anymore, but don't paper over things that are really in the stories like know the stories understand the stories for real and still find your affections aligned with gods in in that
0: narrative is that the time that we end where we've got i, I think, I think we do minutes minutes one left one more? Let's, see. let's keep let's well let's see we'll see what we we've can got get. bad
1: ones let's go orange first orange person
0: new ya book
1: ideas do i have new ideas for series yeah i have quite a few actually and there's uh notebooks uh clipboards all all sorts of things when they're gonna happen i don't know but yeah i do have a number of them uh that make me happy and it's good to have kind of a war of attrition in your own head which ones survive over time are, are probably the best to uh to do
0: the best ones to write and some of the movies might even come out first Hmm. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Or not? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's there's there's plenty, there's plenty there, and we'll see we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, I've got I've got some new stuff. I got to finish Ashtown first. Yeah, in the middle. The exact factors that make me just like what the Lord of the Rings movies? Oh, <laughs> how about you, Brian? Because you have a <laughs> you have a different uh, perspective than
0: I do. I uh. Okay, so Aragorn be basically a total misunderstanding of all motivation of every character in it, except maybe Gandalf. So that's my who's always in a mood, right? Yeah. So as far as that works, I mean, if you don't, if you take Aragorn and turn him into a conflicted, whiny guy who just has to take up his destiny but is afraid to you've missed the point of the Lord of the Rings. If you turn Frodo from the heroic older guy that he is into the gaspy, effeminate thing that uh, Elijah Wood is, you've also missed the point. Uh, I guess Sam might be all right. Sam's a pretty good character and so is Gollum. All right, I'm being a little, there's a few okay ones. Um, Also, if you take Faramir, one of the best characters in the books and turn him to someone that is universally hated by everyone, or Eowyn and turn her from a noble princess into an infatuated high schooler? I don't know. What, do you need me to go on? And that's I, not I even... hate way more than all of that.
1: Yeah. <laughs> um, so Brian got us off to a good start, but it's like, what do you actually particularly hate about gluten-free cookies? And it's like, well, the sand in my mouth, the lack of gluten. The, <laughs> the lie that they are. Uh, all the goodness that was there that you've removed somehow
0: and have handed me this lie. Ooh, I got a good question. The back question is, did you know that Tolkien said that he was actually nauseated by Walt Disney's work? Okay. So he said, a couple of things are okay, but I'm nauseated. By Physically some of ill. What, like, I would like to vomit when I watch his work. I think until he probably we, did knowing Tolkien, he probably puked in his mouth a little. <laughs> yeah. Uh, until you can answer that question to the satisfaction of like something that would actually make you ill, what is it about Walt Disney that makes Tolkien vomit? vomit. <laughs> until we can answer that, I don't think we can take it's Peter Jackson's work. Yeah, it's not the. It has wo- nothing to
1: do with <laughs> the wokeness. It's back when Disney was good. All those movies you were raised on.
0: Yep. Uh, the ones were with the ones all the that made racist parts. Yeah. <laughs> and
1: I, I would say that one of the most interesting things you can look at when you're talking about inklings and in movies is in the letters of C.S. Lewis, he talks about disliking a film version of King Solomon's Minds. And he goes on for a little bit about the exchange of fear and duress, stress, uh, how people don't understand that. Dying in different ways is scary in different ways. There's different breeds of fear and flavors of fear and stress and stakes and all these things. And how a a film adaptation will swap in drowning for dying alone in the dark in a cave or whatever. And they can kind of burning alive for being betrayed by your wife. And it's actually very different. Every single scene is different. If you get the stakes wrong. If you get the character motivations wrong, if you don't understand the the stress of it, if you make faramir instead of a picture of nobility, if you make him a, a john like version character. of Boromir, yeah, and he's just a knockoff Boromir with a worse nose, and that's it. <laughs> if you make the Oliphants as tall as Minas Tirith's walls, then there's no conflict. There's no stress. If they if they show up and just curb blam, they're knocking gates in and and smashing walls, and you, you lose that moment where the Lord of the Nazgul and Gandalf face off in a gate that has never been breached in its history, and the way Tolkien lays down lore, where this, there's been thousands of years of no enemy has ever breached these gates, and then this one has, for the first time ever, and yet there's this dead wizard who's who's back, here to stop them, and they, ha- they have this two weirdly Two different versions of undead wizards sitting there. One resurrected as Gandalf the White. The other has been riding this beast and a ring wraith for you know millennia, and they're here squaring off in that in that gate. When you're sitting there, and then you hear the horns of the Rohirrim coming, like it's it pays off. It's so symphonic. There's it's so there's so much orchestra to it. So it's such an intense tapestry. That it's kind of like viewing the unicorn tapestries at, uh, I trying remember what it's called in New York, whatever, the cloisters. They have these medieval unicorn tapestries that are gorgeous and they're like two-sided and things are amazing. Uh, I think they're two-sided. I'll have to double check, fact check that later. Uh, these unicorn tapestries and then somebody says, hey, I've done a tapestry and they get out one of those little potholder kits that little girls do. And they do one and hold it up for you and say, look, I copied it. And I say, I hate it so much (laughs) in my bones with everything I have. I hate that. (laughs) And people are offended. Why? But why? And it's like, because it's an insult to the source material. So the films offend me. They hurt my feelings. It burns Um, us. (laughs) And
0: (laughs) Precious. Yeah.
1: (laughs) I mean, really? We have an elf surfing on a shield? Like,
0: like, come on. Uh, So C.S. Lewis described Tolkien as beauties that pierce like swords and burn like cold iron. And Peter Jackson has swapped that out for our, you know, slight moment of discomfort as we watch Saruman dangle Gandalf over the edge of Orthanc. Like, oh no, he might fall. On a green screen. Right. It's it's that sort of switch where you're like, hey, where'd the beauty go? Where did the... The the piercing go. It went for a cheap cinema cinematographic, whatever set piece <laughs> for set a little piece. thing called a set piece. Yeah, swapped in. Let's swap in a set piece. Great. Oh, I do admit I like the soundtrack. Never
1: paid any mind. Uh, I couldn't get past it, and even Aragorn's voice. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> yeah. I can't do. Aragorn's voice is incredible. Okay. that was we, we, really, we could them. go a long time on this, by the way. So we won't. We should be done. We should be done talking about Lord of the Rings, the movies, and hope that all of you hate them as much as we do. Don't even bring up Rings of Power. <laughs> or do. Uh, Rings of Power is a cautionary tale for streamers everywhere. Uh, do we have time for a little? Yeah, we got three in the back. We'll do one more and close with this in the middle. Right there. I think we did oh, a whole there, episode one on one? Okay, let's do a different question.
0: Yeah. yeah, find it. We did a whole episode on it. Yes, back over there. You looking
1: around. Are, oh, what do you say to a friend who has been working on a novel for like eight plus years is going nowhere? Tell her to stop. What do you,
0: what say, do you say to you a answer a to your own
1: question? What do you tell a friend who's been working on a novel for eight years and is going nowhere? And you tell her to stop? I mean, isn't that what you tell her?
0: You say, put down the laptop. I love Walk you. Walk away stop slowly. It. <laughs> yeah. Have you read it?
1: Uh, no, she won't give it to Taylor. Okay, yeah. Tell her to stop being her. <laughs> <laughs> and once she's done being her, to stop
0: writing that story and the, move on. We have a whole episode about the artistic temperament as well. That uh, sounds like your friend has the ultimate case. Yep, and could be a great friend, but somebody needs to read it and be honest about it maybe there's good parts and she needs to just
1: put it down and try a different story but if eight years without letting anybody read it i think it's a different mm, problem yeah you're right i i think she probably has just been playing minecraft or there's mines- not a novel there's no novel or minesweeper she's really good at
0: minesweeper, minesweeper.
1: <laughs> perfect uh should we should we give
0: one more yeah in the back
1: i keep saying one more but
0: What are your favorite and least favorite things about Harry Potter? This, this is turning into a hit and run episode. I know. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, here's a beehive. <clears throat> <laughs> here's
1: a brick thrown in another. My beehive. son did
0: that while camping. All his little cousins were around and he smacked the table full of bees. And a lot As... of bee stings, a lot of swollen faces. <laughs> <laughs> Church camping trip became. Is that what we're about to do? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, we're talking about the movies
1: or the books? Harry Potter. The books? We've talked about Harry Potter a fair amount on this. Yeah, listen
0: to our previous episode. Yeah,
1: but it's a there's, bad there's magic plenty system. of great stuff about him. And then it jumps the rails. But the books are worth reading. And I'm grateful to him <laughs> yeah. for reintroducing middle grade fantasy to a broad market. Uh, I think they left the world better than she she found it. I think the the books have done good in the world and i think more good than bad Uh, so i'll just i'll just say that but there's there's plenty of things to complain about and we do in other in other episodes but there's they're worth respecting and being grateful toward especially as a novelist like i am uh, i i can't complain when somebody like rallying just balloons the marketplace in which i work
0: that's fantastic Okay, Lynn, the immortal words of Frog and Toad, one very last cookie. Make it good. In the middle, in the orange.
1: You. You uh your books are inspired by classics. What specific classics inspired your books? And one classic inspired more than
0: one novel. What classics have inspired Nate's works? We've done an episode all on every single one. All the
1: classics have inspired uh, all my books. Uh, Picasso. I don't often quote Picasso, uh, but he said something about how great artists steal. You know, people imitate great artists; just steal straight up. Um, I don't read him closely, so I, I'm probably misquoting him. Uh, basically. Every single work of human art is collage work. We all have scissors and glue. We're stealing stuff constantly. We can't create one new thing. Lewis talked about being unable to create anything de novo, like from nothing. This, you know, wholly new. Um and it's it's just all theft. And so I've not stolen the bones of a classic entirely. Uh, except for the Odyssey, and pulling the Odyssey and and kind of a, a Huck Finn, Tom Sawyer vibe together uh, in Lee Pike Ridge, that's the probably the most intact theft that I've done. And normally I steal much smaller bits, characters, themes, things like that. And so the the theme of Father Hunger and Homecoming and everything that's in. Leap Pike Ridge, I use that elsewhere, but not anywhere near as large a chunk as I did in Leap Pike Ridge. So Leap Pike Ridge is probably the, the most structured off of a, directly structured off a classic. And there we go. This has been there SAS number 100 and something. It's it's good. The live studio all. audience. I think you guys get like a B minus. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, there we go.
0: You know that now is the time when I like to thank you for being a SASF listener, and also show you something cool that we've been working at uh, at Canopress. And what I'm holding right now, if you can, or if you're only listening in audio, you won't be able to see this. You'll have to listen to the sound. But if you're watching on Canon Plus, and if you're a subscriber, you can see I'm holding a Christ is Lord box. Go to ChristisLord.com to see why we're trying to put up a billboard that says Christ is Lord in your area, and why that's making certain sad sections of the internet very upset. Of course, it's true, and so we got some fun stuff inside. Again, if you're just listening, hear the wonderful sounds. We got stickers. We got bumper stickers. We have, yeah, they say Christ is Lord too. We've got a wartime songbook, But of course, the most important part of this box is the Mere Christendom book, which I have to say, is one of the most pretty books you're going to see. Check out that foil on the cover, the elegant cross on it. And of course, a signature from Douglas Wilson. What is Mere Christendom? Well, basically it's the declaration of the book that Christ conquered the West the first time, and this is how he's going to do it again. So ChristisLord.com, buy the book check out the billboards and enjoy.